The last word on sport on Today FM. With Carlsberg, official beer partner of the FAI. Probably the best partnership in the world. Get the facts, be drink aware, visit drinkaware.ie. And so we're all enormously looking forward to Sunday's World Cup final. Can it be Argentina, who haven't won since 1986 to win their third World Cup? Or France, the defending champions, to win their third World Cup? Will it be Messi? Will it be Mbappe? Or will somebody else, like perhaps Anton Griezmann, come forward as being the star of the day? Well, we're joined by Miguel Delaney, Chief Football Writer of The Independent from Doha in Qatar, and also, of course, by our regular analysts Mark Lawrenson and Tony Cascarino. I'm going to start with you, Miguel, because quite a lot of people are thinking back to 2018 and what might have been the most thrilling game of that particular World Cup when France beat Argentina by four goals to three. But does it have any real relevance to what might happen this Sunday? Uh, Not really, only insofar as, I suppose, Messi, who's probably shaping this match more than any player in history has ever shaped any match ever, given all the build-up, all the will. He might want to rectify it in the way he kind of rectif- he's trying to rectify basically his entire Argentina career up to 2021 and finally winning the Cup America. Um, I have to say, I, I've always thought that was a bit overrated. Just because, I mean, I know it was 4-3 and had two great goals, but it was basically over by the 65th minute because France went two ahead. And Argentina, they always kind of kept Argentina at arm's length until the final minute when there was one goal by a gear and it created one scare. Uh, but I expect this to be... Um, very different. It's a very different Argentina team. It's a different French team, actually. They're not. I, mean, I know they can, what you're saying. They conceded three goals in that game, but it almost points to how, how much of a freak game it was because it was, it was to define or describe that French team in 2018 in one way. It would be solid. It would be one of the most solid world champions ever. And this team feels a lot looser, more to get at, but maybe more, a bit more of a flourish and attack. Um, and that against a very targeted Argentina who have all the kind of resilience and defiance they didn't in 2018 which is one reason they're here I suppose Tony a lot of people thought that 2018 was Messi's last chance that the big chance had been in 2014 when they lost the final to Germany and that when 2018 passed that was it how impressed have you been by the way he has defined himself throughout this 2022 World Cup well, it's been an amazing, Matt, to watch him. And sometimes, I mean, look, he plays the game. Without the ball, he looks like he's 35. And with the ball, he looks like he's 25. You know, he really is coming alive when he gets the ball, which is far different from the past, which you'd expect because he's obviously he's much more, more experienced. Um, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him, Matt. And I think there's a much bigger enthusiasm. The fact that he, he said this would be his last World Cup game, I thought he's telling everyone, this is my final go and I'm going to give it my all and, you know, and, and, and take it from there because he, he's such a talent, man. And what, I can't remember watching a player ever that can stop and literally, like he did against Croatia, for the best part of 20 minutes, 30 minutes, the opening period of the game, hardly got going. He looked like he tweaked his hamstring and then he, he was holding it and then suddenly, come the second half, he just became another player. I don't know if the forward line, I say I don't know, but it, it feels like McAllister and Alvarez and him, they're not the biggest, and they're all versatile. And he seems to have fitted in really well with the way Argentina is set up, man. Mark, I was doing an event in Dublin last week with Eddie Gray, the great former Leeds player, and mm-hmm. he was talking loads about 
all of his favourite players and the greatest players that he played with and against. And they all tended to be 20th century players, with one exception. He said Messi is the greatest he has ever seen play. Does Messi need, though, to win the World Cup on Sunday to copper fasten that so that he will be regarded above Maradona, above Pele, and, of course, that other fellow, Cristiano Ronaldo? Yeah, probably, Matt. I mean, I don't know what the two other boys think, but he's the best I've ever seen, most definitely. Absolutely sensational. Um, but, yeah, it will it will copper bottom if, if they, uh, they win. What I love about him as well is, is just he has this innate, Ability just to find a little pocket of space, and I mean, and the way when he runs at people and then stops and slows them down and goes again, he's just absolutely brilliant. And I mean, the goal he made the other day, um, where uh, I think it was a Croatian central defender who's had a really, really good World Cup, he, he, he made him look like he'd never played football before when he went past him on the on the byline, etc. So he's brilliant, and you know, the, this Argentinian team have got better and better. Uh, they like to defend. They like to tackle you as well and let you know that you're in a game. I think which a lot of the teams haven't really done in this World Cup. But yeah, if if he were to, if he were and they were to win the Argentina, most definitely because the reason I say he's the best ever is he's got all the ability and all those kind of things. But you know what, Matt? He's a fabulous team player. Fabulous, fabulous team player. Unlike one or two maybe the other guys that you've mentioned. Because. If on that run that he made past Guardiol, when he did the pullback for Alvarez, you mm. can think of some of his contemporaries who would have wanted to finish it themselves, even from the tightest of angles, would have tried to blast a shot in to get the wonder goal rather than playing for the team. Yeah, just he's, he, is, he is that team player. Um, and he, he, he just sees everything as well, all the time. And look, you know, that if you watch him play, certainly in, in the, the knockout stages where he's just... Each performance has got better and better. I mean, he just, he just bewilders people. And the great thing for him is that he's got this, you know, you mentioned the three boys before, that, that do most of the running for him, most of the hard work. And, you know, in, in a football team, if, you, if you've got one absolutely outstanding player, all the rest of the players, all the rest of the players will do anything to help him. We had that a little bit maybe with uh, Kenny Dalglish at Liverpool where, you know, you just let him do whatever he did, and if it, made, if it meant you had to do a little bit more hard, harder work than normal, you would do it. And um, why not? For such, he's a genius, footballing genius. Tony Cascarino, there's been an awful lot of amateur psychology going on as well, but it does appear that he seems more liberated, ironically, at the end of his career than earlier in his career, that he seems to not be as pressured by the situation as perhaps he was in previous tournaments at Argentina. Maybe winning the Copa with Argentina has provided a source of release for him. Well, he's always faced criticism, Matt, because he went to Spain at the age of 13 and, you know, his allegiance to Argentina Argentina was questioned at times and because he hadn't won anything of any note, I felt he always felt like he was an outsider playing for Argentina. And that's changed, Matt. The moment he won the Copa America, it, it changed and I mean, I, I was out in Doha, Matt, and Miguel will tell you likewise. It's, it's hard to find an Argentina fan without Lionel Messi's shirt on their back, you know, with the name put on the back of their shirts. And, and, and that is pretty extraordinary, the reception that he gets at games as well from the fans. And they've really taken to him in the last few years. And I, and I think, from my perspective, Matt, it feels like we all feel really sorry for him that if he doesn't win the World Cup, it's because he's been that good as a player. And I'd always add, look, 
international football represents about 7-8% of your career. If you play a lot of games, if you get close to 100 caps. Now, as a club player, you could argue, well, Maradona didn't even get close to what you know, Messi did with winning trophies and the goals he got in games. But he didn't win the big one. And that's always been his hurdle. Um, and to me, Matt, if you look at the 92% odd that you could say, well, that's your club career, you know, that's a big difference on judging a player, isn't it? But the international stage is such a big stage, planning World Cups like I've been lucky enough to do, that you can be, you're recognised worldwide, although that's changing in the modern game because football's on everywhere now at club level. But in years gone by, that was the case, Matt. Miguel, Tony mentioned, I think a lot of people noticed the other night and feared for Messi when they saw him rubbing his hamstring on occasions. And then there were people who were surprised that he saw the full 90 minutes that Argentina didn't take him off the pitch when the game was clearly won. What is the word on his fitness? Yeah, apparently he's fine, feeling no pain. I mean, I've spent the last two days, I mean, I suppose the whole tournament's been all about Messi, really, but I've spent the last two days immersed in it because I've done a, a big piece for the independence for Messi, on Messi ahead of the final. But one of them, there's an interesting little snip on that where Sergio Aguero was in the, uh, his old international teammate and one of his really good friends in football, and he, he willingly went on Argentinian TV and said this, that he went into the uh, dressing room after the game uh, against Croatia and asked Messi, we all saw you holding your hamstring. We thought well, you were injured. We were really worried. And they, Messi told him it was basically just a bang, uh, that he felt no pain after the match. Uh, so as of now, it, it doesn't seem an issue. Uh, and, but then again, I mean, all right, okay, Messi's fitness would obviously shape the game. But what would it actually take for Messi to not start this World Cup final? Is it even conceivable? <laughs> it's not conceivable. It really isn't. But how did France stop him? Because already, Miguel, Mark has made reference to, I think Guardiola for many people has been the outstanding centre-half in this tournament. And yet he was made look stupid by Messi, what Messi did to him for the third goal. How did France counteract Messi? Well, it was interesting, for that piece I was talking to one of the uh, Australia performance staff uh, who was obviously involved in preparations for how they, they deal with him. Uh, ahead of their last 16 game and for the first half at least before the game opened up and Australia started chasing it they, they probably handled Messi really well limited him but then of course it was one touch and then one half metre of space as their defender Jackson Irvine put it that, and he suddenly he, he takes his opportunity but what they said they tried to do was they, they, they took influence from NBA and how teams try and steal or how they try and deal with Steph Curry which is basically and like the, the guy said that was the only real comparison that they could think of because Messi is close to unique as a sporting figure. And what you do, rather than actually try and deal with him, is just try and limit the ball going to him. Put one player beside him at all times and then put three in the general area so it just doesn't reach him as often. But even then, I remember like um, in 2015, I remember uh, when Mourinho was out maybe is more charming, we had a press conference at, at, at Chelsea uh, when he, he was speaking, it was night. It was the day after uh, Messi had scored twice against uh, Bayern Munich in the Champions League, and probably one of his one of many peaks in his career. And Mourinho actually was really good speaking about how you deal with Messi. And like the way he put it was, all you can ever do in these situations is just limited influence. Uh, and, and again, it was the same sort of thing. You have to try and have a kind of constant four players to try and shuffle him out of the game. But of course, if you have those four players, uh, it limits what you can do. But then there's another dimension to this which is why this is, in purely football terms, is such an interesting final, because England and many other teams would, would say similar about Kylian Mbappe, giving them the space. So it's almost like you've got these two 
massive gravitational forces on one football match. And we'll get to the French in a moment. But uh, Tony, how do you think the French can combat Messi? Um, well, obviously he's the side of Hernandez, who's their left back, who's their second choice, because his brother got injured, uh, unfortunately, in the first game, Matt. And he likes to get forward. So I don't think it'd be a good idea just to leave space and let um, Messi occupy space, as Mark talked about, because... If you leave him in the pocket and he receives the ball and then he starts turning, he sees everything then. And that's dangerous. So I think you'd have to be a little bit, a bit like Cole Walker had to do against killing Mbappe. He's just really sit there and don't be an attacking fullback too often. Um, so it's always a tough one. You're looking at a player with so much individual talent and technique, Matt. Um, but I would certainly not want to leave space for him. And if you can shut off avenues to him by the midfield, you, you, you let the ball go elsewhere. I think that's about the only obvious things I can do. And Matt, many teams have even attempted that and still come up being punished. Mark, what about centre-half for France? Uh, because Upamecano didn't play. But Canate, I thought, looked absolutely brilliant in the semi-final, the Liverpool centre-half. Should he play in the final? Well, I yeah, I couldn't understand why he wasn't playing in the first place, to be honest with you, well, to be honest with you Matt, because he looked defensively. Um, porous a little bit, the French. So I would say absolutely, totally yes to that. Um, and, you know, I think the, the thing with the French as well is, is yes, they're good going forward. And we've looked at them generally. They ain't, they ain't the best defensively. So Canati would definitely be in. But what about the fellow Griezmann? I mean, that performance in the last game was as good as anything I've seen for a long, long time. He was just absolutely everywhere. But they are a bit porous, the, the French. So... It's, uh, it's one of those, isn't it? And the other thing, you know, it's going back to the, to the Messi thing as well. If, if Argentina score, no matter what plans you have for Messi, all of a sudden, because, you know, you, you've got to try and score yourself, so you've got to start taking chances, and you've got to obviously get, get at France as well. So that makes the, the problem even harder, because then he gets more space. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, I think it'll be an absolutely fascinating game of football. But I, do, but I do believe it's going to be very, very tight. But I think the French... We'll always give you a chance. Always. We have more in our build-up to the World Cup final when we come back after this quick break. Welcome back. Tony Cascarino, Mark Lawrenson and Miguel Delaney are with us to preview the World Cup final. And Miguel, before the break, we were talking about the selection issues perhaps at centre-back for France. But what's the word on Rabio and Upamecano as to their likely availability and as to whether maybe perhaps Deschamps might be persuaded to leave Fofana and Canate stay in the team after the semi-final? Well, we probably won't over certain really until the um, in, until tomorrow's training session, which I think is quite early in the day. Uh, but it's interesting. I mean, this is actually something that's been kind of uh, bubbling around this World Cup because uh, uh, Upamecano seems to have had this illness. It's actually been going around a lot of journalists as well, which is kind of quite a, a heavy flu and can often take four or five days to uh, to get over. Now, of course, uh, Upamecano is a lot healthier than a lot of uh, <laughs> the journalists would say. But, uh, but it does make him a doubt. I and mean, the other side of that is the lad's reference a few minutes ago. Uh, I think there's an argument really that Kanate should have played his way into the team. Personally, I'm not sure what the lad's thing. I think he's a better defender. Uh, Upamecano is physically brilliant. He set up... Um, now, it was his run that set up the Chimani's goal against England. But he also, I think he, he he's so rash that he, he can cause chaos in that back line that England almost benefited on. I think Canada is a smoother player. Um, and it could be one of the big decisions. And, of course, there's 
something else. I mean, another potential big decision for uh, Deschamps, although it really doesn't look like it's going to come to this, but I think the question, you know, it was interesting. And so have reports been from Real Madrid that uh, Karim Benzema would be allowed play uh, by his club despite his recent injury. Now, I don't think it's going to come to that, but uh, and I think the bigger decision is really going to be centre-half and potentially midfield. Sorry, did Benzema stay with the squad despite his injury? No, he, he, he left, he left. But, but he could come back, I suppose, if feasible. I mean, he's, still, he's still officially in the squad. They didn't replace him. Tony, that'd be mad, wouldn't it, to bring somebody back into the squad for the final? Particularly as there was an argument before the tournament, which seems to have played out well, that France do better in not trying to accommodate him. They do better with Giroud up front. No, they're not going to do that, Matt. That's not going to happen because Benzema's gone. He's left the squad now. And the, the boy Turama's come in and played and scored also. You know, I, I just can't see that. I mean, I, what, you know, how do you reintroduce him? And, you know, it, it's a tough one, Matt, to, to, for me to introduce players to the squad that you might even end up changing or bringing on. And he has, he's missed probably enough football now anyway, Matt, because he's, he's not been available to Benzema. Uh, sorry for the days he's on. So... I, I see that as a non-starter, absolutely, Matt. Now, what about Mbappe, Mark? Because for all the thrills that have been in watching Messi scoring goals, setting up goals, and still his assist against Holland or the Netherlands was one of the very best of the tournament, there's just such excitement whenever Mbappe decides to accelerate and to see yeah. how he's going to get past players. How are Argentina going to cope with that? Well, again, I suppose similar to, to the Messi problem, which is denying the ball, trying to, try to obviously double mark him. I think, it's, I think it's a little bit easier than dealing with Messi because obviously Messi plays in the centre of, of the pitch, whereas so far apart from the last I don't know, 20 minutes of the night when Mbappe went to play through the middle, he plays on the left and he stays on the left. And I think obviously the thing about that is there's a touchline next to him. So that makes it a little bit easier, shall I say, in terms of dealing with it, but it, it's still difficult because if it, they knock the ball in behind you, um, you're going to really, really struggle to, to match him to his pace. Um, so that's the thing. And I, and I think, again, like Messi, when we talk about how do you deal with it, it's, it's try and deny that he gets the ball. But the thing with him is, is, is actually you can, you can play it over him and over the fullback or even the two guys if they're, if they're marking him, and, and he will outstrip both of them. So it's a, it's a delicate one, isn't it? But... Um, you know, I just you kind of look at him and you just you just feel with him that something will always always happen. And I get the feeling when you play against him that there's that thing in the back of your mind thinking, oh no, he's going to run me, he's going to run me. And sometimes you sit off a little bit, and that can be a real real problem for you. I think, Tony, I think Mark already made reference to Griezmann and how good he's been. But what have you made of him? Because a guy who was a striker who failed in Barcelona when he moved there has looked in this tournament, would it be fair to say, the complete midfielder? Well, he was rested quite a lot last season, Matt, because he went on loan to Athletic Madrid, didn't he? And they obviously had a, a contract where he could only play certain minutes, and that's been resolved now. And he's back to the player that we all once knew and loved. as a great goal scorer. He makes brilliant runs. He, he, he just seems to appear all over the pitches. His, his energy has been, you know, so exceptional to watch, Matt. And he's reinvented himself slightly because Didier Dijon was getting criticised before um, the squad was announced about taking Anton Griezmann. A lot of French people felt he wasn't the player he once was for France. He wasn't the player of 2018. Well, he's come to this World Cup, Matt, as he's got fitter and game by game. 
he's just looked an absolute well-beater. And it just makes you laugh of how a player like that can't work it, make it work for him at Barcelona. And even his career at Atletico Madrid had sort of gone spiralling out of control. Um, and now he's at the top of the tree again, Matt. And he's been exceptional. And I think, you know, that's been a big thing for France, giving them confidence and knowing his, you know, when he plays like in front of the two midfielders and he plays in all these spaces and finds, you know, the cross that he gave to Rue against England where he just gets it out of his feet and he whips it in with pace. He's done so many good things in games, Matt. Um, absolute credit. It's like revisiting his past glories, Matt, because he was, two or three years ago, a fantastic player and he'd gone away from that. So, Miguel, we have two teams that each have a global superstar in their midst who also have some brilliant supporting acts like Griezmann and Alvarez has come forward in that way for Argentina and getting goals. But yet two teams that have weaknesses that have been exploited by others during the competition. Does that actually set us up for, and I'm loath to say it because we've been disappointed so many times before by finals that didn't live up to our expectations, but all of those elements suggest this could be an absolute cracker. Yeah, I'm actually leaning towards it being an open game, uh, primarily because I think this is one where the quality of the forwards, um, or sorry, the quality on the show is weighted towards forwards rather than defenders. Also, the way they play might influence the game because Argentina don't have much pace, especially not the back. So that means I think they're going to they're going to have to sit back against Mbappe. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of space in the middle of the pitch, potentially stretching it for Messi. And if there, whoever scores first, um, I think it's going to create a proper back and forth. Because uh, we also, I mean, from that perspective as well, whoever does score first, as Mark mentioned there, it, it suddenly means the other team has to go for it, which creates a huge opening for either Messi or Mbappe. It you know, further changes the game. I really think this, is, this could be one. It could be different than most World Cup finals. Also, as regards, you mentioned the two megastars. It's actually... Um, it's a bit of a historical outlier in that sense. In fact, in, in the way, the only World Cup final I can remember with two stars really at their peak was probably the last one, if you look through, was maybe 1974, when it was Beckenbauer and Cruyff. I mean, even Zidane only became a, a megastar because of what happened in 98. Same with Perlow in 2006 when he was playing Zidane. And it's usually been kind of, there's only been one real megastar there. Well, this is two. And of course, two, it shouldn't be forgotten in all of this that are um, ultimately being paid by Qatar, given that they play for Paris Saint-Germain. OK, quickly from all of you. First for you, Miguel, call it. Who's going to win it? Uh, Argentina, 2-1. <laughs> OK. Mark, your prediction on it, please. I'll go Argentina, 1-0. Only the 1-0? You don't think yeah. it's going to be a big open game? You think France won't score? Uh, I do think France won't score. Yeah, I think the, the Argentinian defence is a little bit better than people are giving it credit for. And they love to tackle, by the way, and hurt you. <laughs> that has been the Argentinian way for many a year yeah. Tony what's your prediction France 3-1 Matt because you lived in France that's part of the reason <laughs> isn't it and you played not, there because I live in France but that's not very good punditry because I live in France <laughs> I think <laughs> it's an, an emotional call on your part Tony you had your best part of your career there I understand that about Leeds man who tell us every week about Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> 3-1, that's a brave call. Jesus, I think a lot of people would be so disappointed for Messi if that was to happen. Me included, Matt, because I lived in France. <laughs> Tony Cascarino, Mark Lawrence and Miguel Delaney, Chief Football Writer of The Independent. Thank you so much for being with us here. And I look forward to 
talking to you on Monday when we look back, not just at the final, but the overall competition and all the things it's meant to football and also politically as well. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today FM.